God is sitting on his throne, anticipating another sinner will soon become his own. Years of wasted living and years of toil and strife are just about to be over as he receives the gift of life. Go sound the horn, strike up the choir. A sinner is saved, saved from the fire. No more in darkness, he received my son. All heaven rejoices. That's the value of one. The Holy Spirit has been working to soften up a heart. All he needs is a willing servant to simply do his part. Can you imagine up in heaven the joy there'll be that day? As a sinner bows his head to pray, can't you hear the Father say, Go sound the horn, strike up the choir. A sinner is saved, saved from the fire. No more in darkness, he received my son. All heaven rejoices. That's the value of one. Start construction on his mansion there on Hallelujah Street. He doesn't know yet what is waiting when the Savior he will meet. He'll meet. Go sound the horn. Strike up the choir. A sinner is from the fire no more in darkness he received my son all heaven rejoices that's the value of one all heaven rejoices that's the value of really great when you think that you're the one. Amen? Isn't that good? You say, I'm the one. Amen? And he did all that for you. He did all that for me. <clears throat> what a blessing that is. Take your Bible, if you would. Turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to um, begin just a real small series, a three-week series called The Christ of Christmas. The Christ of Christmas. Nothing uh, probably, um, <clears throat> I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to downplay what we're going to address here, but uh, let's, it, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. Let me tell you, you'll probably have heard a few of these things along the way. <clears throat> I hope that they're a blessing and a help to you. I hope they're an encouragement and a reminder again of the Lord that we serve. But Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, please. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, it's not in my notes, and I don't really plan on speaking on this, nor will I spend a lot of time, but I want you to understand that Mary was not a woman with child out of wedlock. That's not what we're dealing with here. She was a spouse, but she was as much his wife as she would ever be. And as a result of that, in the customs of their day, uh, all that had or all that remained to be done was the consummation of the marriage, the two of them to come together physically. Everything else was complete. They were as married as married can be. They had every contract imaginable, so to speak. It was as legal as legal could be. This wasn't something that was being done in secret. It wasn't something that was, uh, you know, shady in any way. This was legitimate. This was, you know, above board. They were married in that sense. But the Bible calls it a spouse. They had yet to come together. And now we find Mary with child. And the Bible teaches us here that they go to Bethlehem where they find, obviously, a stable now. And she comes to the place where it's time to have this child. She has it. And boy, I'll tell you what, life never was the same for them. And may I say it's never been the same for us. So, nonetheless, we have this wonderful account. And we live in a society today that demands political correctness even at the cost of our First Amendment rights, it seems. And, uh, you know, our world has misinterpreted the intent of the separation of church and state and has effectively inserted their humanistic and atheistic views into our culture. You know, Americans have been so intimidated, it seems, by these God-haters. And I'm not trying to be nasty or mean. But when you don't want the name of Christ in public, that's more than just, eh. No, they don't want him there because they hate him. As a result of the intimidation of people that have and want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ at all, people are afraid today to even say Merry Christmas. And you know, it's sad today, there are a number of American corporations that even forbid their employees to use the term at all. And that's sad. Can you imagine working somewhere where they tell you you're not permitted to say Merry Christmas? I mean, that, that doesn't make sense to me in America. But that is where we are today in our culture and in our society in America. I was excited uh, to hear one of our ladies. I was talking to Mrs. Francis, and she at one point was a, um, and I hope that Walmart's not listening. But anyway, she was a greeter at Walmart at one point in, in a, a few years back. And uh, they told her, you are not permitted to say Merry Christmas at one point. Now, again, some of these corporations changed their policies because there was some backlash. And I don't know if they're one of them. But what I do know is, is that she said, I don't care what they told me. I said Merry Christmas anyway. And she said, you know what happened? A lot of people would come back to me and go, I just want to say thank you for saying Merry Christmas. Isn't that something? 
I think the majority of Americans could care less. I think even if they don't even believe in the Lord Jesus, they're like, fine, say Merry Christmas, because that's what it's called. It's Merry Christmas. We have songs that say Christmas in it all over the place. But the fact is today is that there is a culture in America that is anti-Christ. And sadly enough, our corporations have bought into that and our leaders are so fearful of the backlash of political correctness that they're unwilling to even stand up and say, we're going to say it anyway. And you know, the world has such a strong pull that if we're not careful, even as believers, you know, even the most faithful of believers, we can be negatively affected by that ungodly view. Take your Bible, look over at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. We're warned uh, by the apostle, and, and of course the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, under inspiration, shares this with, you know, he's under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously, writing it. But Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, <clears throat> we're given a warning here. Notice the warning. The writer says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Well, I'll tell you what, the danger is, is that we can be spoiled through the philosophies, the vain deceit, the deception, the traditions, the rudiments of the world even. We can, we can be led astray in that area. I mean, to, to say that we have to say Xmas instead of Christmas, it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's ridiculous. <clears throat> but let me say this also. Although Christ may not be welcome in public anymore, so to speak, I want to go on record and say He is invited here every time the doors are open. I want you to know that. And you know, as a matter of fact, I, I've got to believe, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty positive about this, that he is encouraged to come and take leisure in many, if not every one of your homes as well. And I'm so glad about that. Hey, come on, join us, Lord. We're happy to have you here. And you say, I'm happy to have you in my home. I'm happy to have you at our dinner table. Boy, I trust that's the case indeed. I was disturbed just a few days back when I was at Joe and Fabrics because I do so much sewing and knitting and... <clears throat> well, I went there and uh, my wife and I were standing in line buying something. And I noticed on the, the rack there some really nice mugs, big mugs. And, and on this one mug it said, Mary anything. Wait, 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 I wrote it down here. Maybe I said it wrong. It, Mary something. Mary something. It's almost like you could plug in what you want after Mary, but we're not putting Christmas on it. Now, I don't know if that's a conspiracy uh, of that particular... I don't think it is. But it was something that was on the shelf. And here's what my concern is today. I, I mean, it Mary something? I thought it was Merry Christmas. And that may, that may seem somewhat innocent to some degree, and it probably was in their mind, but I'm concerned that it's just another example of our political correctness. That somehow we're all subconsciously being lulled into a false sense of godlessness. I mean, uh, I, it's crazy. I, I, I can't put or wrap my mind around it. But Christ is being eliminated. He's being removed. He's being taken out of our culture. I'm concerned that before long there won't even be Christmas at all. 
Now, I, I don't, someone says, oh, that's impossible. I, I believe that they're going to try to change what it is. I think they're still going to want you to buy presents because that keeps the economy moving. Uh, you know, manufacturers and different uh, companies aren't going to want to give up Christmas because that's one of the biggest times of sales, and it, it kind of basically keeps them in business, really. But I do see a trend to try to get rid of Christmas altogether. I don't know what they're going to call it. I mean, we got all these other names they call different things now instead of Christmas. Sooner or later... I'm not convinced. I'm kind of convinced that Christmas will go by the wayside. It'll be a time of gifts and giving, but it won't have anything to do with Christ at all whatsoever. And I'm just worried about that. <clears throat> so, I want to speak to you and talk to you over the next few weeks about the Christ of Christmas. I mean, who is he? I mean, what was his purpose for coming? I mean, did he accomplish what he came to do? And over the next three weeks, I want to take a look at that babe in a manger and that same one that ultimately hung on Calvary. And just take a look at him. Who is he? What's he really all about? What was his purpose? And again, did he accomplish what he came to do? And I think we need reminded of that. And sadly, and I, I, and sadly I, I think it's important that we are conscious about this. I think it was kind of just subconscious. It just happened all the time in generations before ours. But I think we need to be conscious of this. Our children need to know these things. We need to really instill this and these truths in the hearts and minds of our children. Because they are not having, it's not being instilled in any other form and through other means. And so it's important that we do that. So let's discuss that babe. Let's discuss the Christ of Christmas over the next few weeks. We're going to start today by discussing his birth. His birth. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership today. Again, Lord, we need you. We, we understand, Lord, that we only have so much time. And, Lord, in that short time that we have, may we, Father, truly honor you. Lord, you are so, so worthy of our honor and our glory. Help us, Lord, just to point to you and realize, Lord, how important you are to us and to our world in which we live. And, Father, may we, as much as uh, we can, be a light in this world. May we not allow ourselves to be intimidated to neglect you or to leave you behind. Help us, Lord, to keep you in the forefront of our hearts, our minds, and in our lives so that many shall see you and fear and trust in the Lord. Well, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we talk about his birth. First of all, his birth prophesied. His birth prophesied. Take your Bible, look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis 3, verse 15. <clears throat> we're going to move quickly today. We've got a number of scriptures we're going to look at. I mean, if I come and polled you and said, how many of you believe that Jesus uh, was Christ? He was Messiah. And I think probably almost, if not all, in the room would say, I do. But if I said, prove it. Show me in the Bible. I'm not convinced that everybody would then be able to go, sure. Let's turn back over here. Let me show you his, uh, you know, in his birth and show you some prophecies about it. I'm not convinced that everybody could do that. And that's what I want to try to help you with. I don't know if this will be the most bombastic or fun sermon, but it will be one that you can get some scriptures if you want, and you'll have some, some firepower, if you will. Notice what it says in Genesis 3.15. Again, the fall of man has transpired. The Lord is now uh, issuing some um, punishment, and he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, 
and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, it is her seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Early on in the word of God, we see evidence of Christ coming to earth. We see evidence of Christ overcoming the tempter. And in this particular passage, we have a prophecy that says there's coming a day when her seed that will be Christ, Messiah, he's going to really hurt his heel on your head as he stomps it. That's what the verse is saying. Don't tell me there's no violence in the Bible. This is good violence because the good guy wins. You know what I think is wrong with violence in the earth in chapter 6? The bad guys were always winning. You know what I think the problem is in television? When there's violence, when the good guys lose and the bad guys win. I think when the good guys win, it says something to our young people like, good prevails over evil. You have to be good or you're going to be the loser. But today, we, we, we have violence in our culture, but it's the bad guys winning. I mean, really, when it's all said and done, what took place here out in California is such a tragedy. But the reality is, how will that be handled? I mean, we know that good people lost their lives. But my question is, how swiftly will justice be shared with those who took those lives? I mean, will the bad guys really lose in the end? Or will the good guys lose in the end? See, I think that the key is that the good guys need to win. And the fact is, is that early on, right there in the book of Genesis, God says, listen, I'm telling you, Satan, you may have deceived Eve, and you may think you've gotten over and wrecked and ruined my plan and my purpose for existence and for mankind, but let me tell you something. There's coming one that will be here, and actually it'll be, it's going to be me, by the way. You just don't know it yet. I'm going to hang on Calvary. I'm going to die, and I'm going to have victory over you and over sin and over death, and I'm going to crush your head. And you know what? He did. And we'll continue to, right to the very end, we see that it is consummated and cultivate, is, is uh, ultimately consummated in the tribulation when we see Leviathan's head smashed and we see it being poured down and the, the earth feeding upon him. And we, so we see the, the, the culmination of that prophecy there in Revelation. But Genesis 3.15, Christ, his birth prophesied. Deuteronomy 18.15, go a few books to the right. Here we have a great prophet a wonderful man of God by the name of Moses, doing marvelous miracles by the power of God. And yet the Bible prophesies that there'll be one that will come that will do these works and will come and will be even greater than him. Notice in chapter 18, verse 15 of Deuteronomy. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, Moses says, unto him ye shall hearken. Now, I want to tell you something. They struggled with listening to Moses, didn't they? We have the mixed multitude. We have a number of others. I mean, he goes up into the mount for 40 days, 40 nights. He comes back. Here they are worshiping an idol. Amazing how they would not obey nor listen to that leader that God had placed over them. But he says, listen, I'm telling you, one will come. He's going to raise thee up a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me, like unto me, like unto me, but unto him ye shall hearken. There's coming a day when Israel, as well as the whole world, will bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking about one that would come named Jesus. Notice in Isaiah 7, verse 14, Isaiah to the right, once again, Isaiah chapter 7. I got a real tough one for you next. Instead of the minor prophets, we'll call them the hidden prophets. They're hidden in our Bibles. 
unless you go to the beginning and look at the index or whatever that's called, the table of contents. Unless you've memorized the books of the Bible, which is a good thing to do. Notice what it says in Isaiah 7.14. Again, a prophecy. His birth prophesied. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah. I mean, this guy lived hundreds of years before Christ ever came. And yet he, through inspiration of the Holy Ghost, writes that there, he says, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That wonderful. What a prophecy about the coming Christ. Jesus' birth. He's coming. He'll be here. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Then we see in Micah 5.2. Not only do we see the fact that a virgin would conceive and ultimately bear a son, but we note where that will take place even. Isn't it amazing? The detail of prophecy. Now, you know, one of the great truths of the Bible is that it's always right. It's always true. (laughs) And so prophecy confirms in our minds and can help us to be strengthened in our heart about the reality and the correctness of the Word of God. Is the Bible true? Well, look at the prophecies that were shared. I mean, they came to pass. Exactly. Not like Nostradamus, who had some good, some bad ones. Who, every once in a while, you know, he got them right. And we go, wow! Nostradamus was amazing. He is so unbelievable. He can tell the future. But he didn't get them all right. Matter of fact, he got a lot more wrong than right. Do you know what happened to a prophet in the Old Testament that didn't get them all right? He was killed because he was reckoned as a false prophet. God says, listen, hey, you listen, you're going to call yourself a prophet, you better get it right. Because if you say and share some prophecy that isn't of me and from me, guess what? I'm going to take you out so that you don't make me look bad anymore. Nostradamus better be glad he wasn't working for God. Because if he was, he wouldn't have been there very long. Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem Euphrata, though thou be a little, be little among the thousands of Judah. Bethlehem, you see that? Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from what? Everlasting. That can be none other than Jesus himself. Hey, guess what? Christ is going to be born. Messiah will be born. The the, the, the promised one will be born in Bethlehem. You're not much, Bethlehem. You're just a little town over here. But out of you, from you, that's where he'll be born. Isn't that an amazing prophecy? What's the likelihood? (laughs) Slim to none. But that's exactly what transpired and took place. So we have his birth prophesied. But not only that, we have his birth proclaimed. Look if you will in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. His birth proclaimed. Here we find Mary. What a wonderful young woman Mary was. There's nothing that we know of that would... Uh, give us reason to be negative or critical of her. She was human, obviously. We understand that. She was a sinner, the Bible teaches. She, too, needed a Savior, the Word of God tells us. But she was an exceptional young lady. Exceptional. Notice in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Pretty clearly, 
identifying her as one that had never been with a man. Now, let me be very... Um, let, let me be very frank and tell you that not all Bibles or so-called Bibles make that as clear. They remove the fact that she was a virgin. They'll call her a young maid or maiden. Now, I'm going to tell you something, a young maiden. You know, there's a big difference between a virgin and that. I mean, it's pretty clear when you say virgin, we all know what the, the Word of God's trying to imply. Be careful. You ought to be reading a King James Bible. I'm just going to say that. You ought to, because it's going to make sure that you get the right information. Someone says, well, that's just one area. It doesn't matter. That one's pretty big. If she wasn't a virgin, then he wasn't a savior. Now, notice what it says here in Luke 1, 31 now. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, again, Mary's having a conversation with this angel. And again, being shared or proclaimed that she's going to bear a child. And, and, and so he say, now you're going to conceive in the womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus. 135 now, verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Because she's just like, what in the world's going to, how's this possible? I don't even know a fellow. I don't even have a, I, I, I can't, I don't, I haven't been with anyone. And he says, oh, let me explain. And the angel answered and said unto her, verse 35, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, Jesus wasn't just a, another fella. He wasn't just an ordinary man. He was God-man. We see Joseph. Not only Mary, but Joseph. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. He says, Now I'm going to give you the rest of the story. Here's how it works. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, that's important to know. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. What it means is that here we were, we're legally married now. We haven't come together and consummated the marriage yet because that's all that was left to do. We're a spouse to be together. We are as married as married can be. We're contracted to be married. The only thing I have to do is walk on over to her place, take her by the hand and walk her back to my mom or daddy's home or wherever we're going to stay, take her in and, and have that physical relationship and the marriage is consummated and it is moving forward. That's all that's left to do. And he finds this out. I don't know about you, but if I found that out, I'd be a little bit concerned. And so was Joseph. Understandably so. He was a godly man, a just man. But because he was just, he's thinking, listen, if this is what's happened, then I can't possibly be with her. I trusted her. She was supposed to trust me. I kept my word. She was deceitful. So guess what? I'm not going to take another step forward because she hasn't been honest with me to this point. I'm going to go ahead and just move on. That's basically what he was going to do. So he's going to put her away privily, though. He doesn't want to embarrass her any more than has to be embarrassed. He doesn't want to have to make her any more public of an example as he has to. He doesn't want her to be killed for having a relationship outside of marriage, an illicit affair. 
So I'll put her away privily so she can live. And the Bible says, while he thought, thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. Notice that, Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of what? The Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Isn't that wonderful? Man, that's great. So now all of a sudden he's being told, Listen, this Mary, she has been faithful to you. She hasn't deceived you in any way. She is as pure as pure white snow. This girl right here is nothing but a saint in my eyes. I love her. She's been faithful. She's been consistent. And I have honored her to carry my son, Jesus Christ. You don't have to be worried about her, Joseph. She's the cream of the crop. And boy, I'll tell you what. We know how the rest of the story ends, don't we? Look in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We note here that his name will be called Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Notice 1 Timothy 3.16. Once again, we are reminded of this. It's being reinforced once again, this truth. Because again, if Jesus Christ is anything less than God in flesh, then we are wasting our time here today. I mean, honestly, and I, I'm not trying to be rude or crude, but the fact is, is that we might as well be out in the world sinning. We might as well just be watching a football game. We might as well be just taking it easy this morning, relaxing and catching up on some needed rest. Because if He's not God in flesh, then He is not my Savior and neither is He yours. And everything that we do here is a waste of time and it is all just a big joke. But thank God it's not. Thank God it's the real deal. I mean, the Word of God is true. And Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And notice as we read in 1 Timothy, we're once again reminded in the New Testament, and without controversy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. I'm glad it's without controversy. I'm glad that He is God, and He is God, and He is God. <laughs> He's nothing less than God. His birth proclaimed. But I want you to notice His birth publicized. Look, if you will, in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 8. We're going to hurry now through this point very quickly because I want to get to the real crux of the application of this. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. I don't think anybody does any better job on this than Linus. <clears throat> don't you love hearing that in, in Peanuts? And if you don't watch that particular episode, you're probably not right with God. Because the Word of God's right there. 
anyway, you don't have to like peanuts, okay? But anyway, and the Lord and the angels said unto them, verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I mean, we see his birth publicized. Man, he's sharing it now with these, uh, it's being shared with these particular uh, shepherds. And they're going to go into Bethlehem. They're going to see him firsthand. What an exciting time in their life. I can only imagine as they grew older and had children and ultimately their grandchildren sat on their knee, I can hear them talking about the day that they saw that wonderful light, that the angels spoke to them and talked to them and expressed to them the fact that Jesus Christ was born. I can only imagine that at that point, they're part of the church. They've been saved by the blood of Christ. And they're telling their children, you need to trust Him. You need to receive Him now. You can't wait any longer. I know you're just a child, but believe as a child. Just simple faith. He'll save your soul. Just like He saved mine. I saw Him the day He was born. And I also remember when He died. But I want you to know that the third day, He rose again. And He's alive today. And He's in my heart. And I want Him in yours too. Boy, I'll tell you what, that birth... That birth was proclaimed, it was publicized, and it was also, excuse me, it was also, um, oh boy, I just lost my place, prophesied. Now here's the application. The birth was supernatural. It was just downright supernatural. There has never been a birth like this one, and there will never be a birth like that one. It's just the way it is. It doesn't happen in any other lifetime. It, that was a once in a lifetime, once in, in, in the existence of earth. That, that happened one time and it will be the only time it happens. So, you know, don't try that one, ladies. That one's been used up. It's over with. Now, the fact is, is that was a supernatural birth. But here's the application. And here's what we have to understand. Sin stands between us and our Creator. And that sin is a result of the sin of Adam. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. What it's referring to and what it's speaking about is the fact that Adam sinned. Yes, he became a sinner for sure. But then he had children, they became sinners because he was a sinner at the root now. He was a sinner at the very root of his being. And as a result, that sin was passed down to his offspring and from their offspring to their offspring and so forth and so on. Till the day that you and I now live, we are still born sinners because we are born into the human race. We are born into an earthly family. We have the gene pool from a sinner and as a result, we are sinners. So we have a natural birth that we experience the day you were born. You're born into a family. You're born into a race of people, the human race. And you're born a sinner. In order to get to heaven, in order to experience the wonderful, sweet fellowship that we can have with the Creator of the universe, with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, we have to experience a new birth. A supernatural birth. Even as Jesus was born supernaturally, you and I need to be born supernaturally. You say, what do you mean? Turn your Bible, if you would, to John chapter 3. 
John chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus addresses this issue. We not only need a physical birth, we need a spiritual one. A natural, but also a supernatural. Notice John chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. He's, he's got it partially right. But notice he goes on, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Hey, good question, Nicodemus. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Good question. I mean, he knows the answer to that. And you do too. He's almost, I don't know if he was being sarcastic. He's almost like, come on now, Lord, I'm not stupid here. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm not able to crawl back up there and land in the womb again. It's not going to happen. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. And you know what? He's right to think that. And you know, if, if when we say things like spiritual things to people that are not saved, they don't quite understand things too. They're kind of like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense at all. And if we're, if we're shocked by that, we're the one that has the problem. <laughs> Jesus isn't shocked by this. He, he, he encourages it. As a matter of fact, he's excited about this, I believe. Because then he goes on to say, he says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I send thee, except a man be born of Water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, all I know is that when, when things started moving with my children, they were born in water, so to speak. Boom, water came and so did they. But you also need to be born through the Spirit. Right. See, there's a physical birth, but then there's also a spiritual birth. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee. Don't, don't be so surprised then that I say to you, ye must be born again. Because the fact is, is that you're right. You can't be born again. You can't climb back in the womb. You can't. You're right. Nicodemus, I don't think you're stupid. I just want you to understand something, Nicodemus, that you're born physically, but you also need to be born spiritually. You, you, there's two births. There's a physical birth. There's a spiritual birth. There's a natural birth. There's a supernatural birth. And you need that supernatural birth in order to enter heaven and to walk in fellowship with me. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Being born again. You know, years ago a song came out. You know, this song, you know... Um, I've just slipped my mind how it goes, but talking about being born again. Oh, I'm with you now. I've left that old ball and chain, so to speak, that girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, and I'm with you. I feel like I'm born again. I'm with you now. You're so wonderful. That song, that's what the whole song was about, a relationship, a physical relationship, so to speak, or a natural relationship with a man, between a man and a woman, a wonderful, you know, they're getting along so well, they love each other, they like each other, they're in, involved with each other, and oh yeah, since you came along in my life, I feel like I've been born again. It's a new lease on life. That's basically what the song was about. 
the world will take anything that God says and, and kind of mess it up. Let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm born again. It's a biblical thing. It's biblical. You know, I think sometimes we allow the world to determine or dictate how we speak or what we say. Well, I don't want to use that word born again because it sounds crazy. They won't understand it. They'll think I'm a nutcase. Why don't you show them it? I mean, take them to the Bible and actually show them it instead of just talking about it all the time. And it might help if they could see it and realize that Jesus Christ himself is the one speaking about it. That Nicodemus, an extremely intelligent and very capable leader, was asking the questions. I mean, this guy was so educated, he'd make us all look probably like dummies. This guy was somebody. He was something. And he had some questions, and they were good questions. But Jesus Christ says, listen, let me tell you something. I don't care how educated you are. It doesn't matter to me how, how, how uh, unbelievably um, um, successful you are. I don't care how rich you are. The fact is you need to be born again, spiritually born, just like you're physically born. A supernatural birth. D.L. Moody, the famed evangelist, you've probably heard of him. He tells a story. He told a story at one of his meetings, one of his preaching services. And one evening just before Christmas, a man was walking through the streets, he says, of an eastern city. And the store windows were all beautiful. They were beautifully decorated, just uh, gorgeous. And he... He observed or he saw this particular man walking through the streets, he says, saw these three little girls. They were kind of, they were so interested. They were so glued to the window. And um, as he looked a little closer, as he drew a little closer to them, he realized that the girl in the middle was blind. And the others were trying to describe the beautiful things in that window to her. What? Why? Can't you see that teddy bear and that doll? Just look, that, that pretty pink bow. It's so beautiful. But that little girl stood with a blank expression on her face because she couldn't appreciate the beautiful things before. She couldn't see them. Now, Moody goes on to say, this is an illustration of the effort we Christians are making to arouse the unconverted to an interest and delight in spiritual things. That's how we are. Can't you see how beautiful? Can't you see? And the world goes. He goes on to say the reason we can't do so is because the sinner is spiritually blind. Moody had just concluded when a reporter rushed up onto the platform and asked him where he had heard that particular story. And Moody he said, well, I read it in one of those daily papers. I even forgot. I can't even remember which one it was. And the reporter said, well, I'm the one who wrote the story. Because I was there and I saw the whole thing. And he said, and I see now that I'm just like that little girl, spiritually blind. <laughs> I mean, what was missing in that reporter's life? I'll tell you what was missing. He had been born into an earthly family through a natural birth. But what he really needed was a supernatural birth into a heavenly family. He couldn't see with spiritual eyes because he hadn't been spiritually born yet. And may I say today, all around us today, there are people that are spiritually blind. God, help us to realize that the only thing that will help them is a supernatural birth. 
Not one that you and I can bring about. Not one that we can force them to receive and accept in that sense. They have to see Christ themselves. And Christ in His Spirit must draw them. They must choose Him and allow Christ in their life. That man saw his need for the first time in his life. And maybe today you've been born, obviously, naturally. You've been born into the human race, into an earthly family. But maybe you've never been born supernaturally. You've never been born again, experienced the spiritual birth that is absolutely necessary in order to spend an eternity with a perfect, holy God. And maybe for the first time in your life you realize that you need Him. It's not enough to know about Him. You have to allow Him to forgive you, save you. You need to permit Him to be your Lord and Savior and invite Him into your life. See, this morning we're living in a society that's determined to remove Christ from Christmas. And as I said, I believe they're even determined to remove Christmas altogether by relabeling or renaming it along the way. But you and I know better, don't we? Christ is the reason for the season. His birth was prophesied. It was proclaimed. It was publicized. His birth was supernatural. It was unlike anybody else's. And today, you and I, we've experienced a natural birth. But in order to enjoy heaven and we're going to need to experience a supernatural birth. We need to be born again. Not just a physical, but a spiritual birth. Have you been born again? If you haven't, you need to be. And this is the message we need to carry to a world that's lost today during Christmas. That we have a living Savior, a loving Savior. A Savior who can, was born supernaturally. And can also extend to each and every one of us a supernatural birth. Father, we love you. We thank you again for this time that we have together. And Lord, just for the grace and the mercy that you just, just, just share with us.